Thank you, Ellen. We get this theme over and over again in the, in the Bible that God, for whatever reason, tends to favor the youngest brother over the older brothers. We saw that with David. We're going to see it again in Genesis chapter 4. And speaking as the youngest brother, I uh, totally appreciate this aspect of God's character. Um, and it's, uh, in a way, it's God's way of saying, I'm going to reorder your world, not the way you order your world, where the oldest gets the best of everything, but where the youngest can come and redeem the family. And we see that over and over again with, think of all the people. Uh, Isaac, the younger brother of uh, Jacob, or part of, of Esau, or sorry, Ishmael, and uh, Jacob, the younger brother of Esau, and Joseph, the younger brother of all those other brothers, right? And on and on, and it just doesn't end there, right? You've got the two sons of Judah, and even they are, are blessed in a reverse way, right? Well, let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 4, and you'll find that on page 4 of your Bible. Really easy to find today. And um, I'd like to say a few words of introduction before we begin. This is the story of Cain and Abel. Not every part of the Bible is like 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, love is gentle, love is kind. I've never heard the story of Cain and Abel being read at a wedding. Uh, if I did, I'd be wondering about what this wedding was. You know, it'd be kind of a bad, a bad omen. This is the story of murder. This is the story of the first family and the trouble that it gets into. And so, just a few words of introduction. And, and um, I'm extremely disappointed that, um, that Jackie isn't here today. Where is Jackie? She's at a brunch. Okay. The reason I say that, there's no other reason, is that she, she always comes up to me and says, I learned a new word from you today. And so I had, I had thought of her especially today because there's a word that I want to introduce to everybody, which some of you may know. Does anyone know the word lacuna? Does anyone know this word? I didn't know it. Not much, not much long ago. It sounds a little bit like laguna. And it's actually related to that word. It's from the Latin word for a lake or a, a, a hole in the ground. A lacuna is something inside of a text, a text like a Bible document or some other text. It's a missing piece of a text where there's a gap in the text because the original part of it got lost somehow. And so there's this missing part. So a lacuna is a missing part of a text, and if a text that is missing something can be called lacunulose. There's another new word, lacunulose. A lacunulose text has a gap in it, and there's a text in our gap. Uh, there's a gap in our text today, and it's in, um, you'll see where it is, but it's in chapter 4, verse, um, where did it go now, verse 8. It's in chapter 4, verse 8, and we'll get to it when we look at the text notes. But... Um, I'm going to read it both ways when I read it. There's, a, there's somebody supplied what was missing, and uh, I'll read it both ways. So that's, that's a little bit of the introduction today. We've got the story about Cain and Abel, the sons of uh, Adam and Eve, and I'll read through verse 16. Let's start. Genesis chapter 4. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. 
But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. Look at your Bible text right now. I'm going to interrupt my own reading so that you can look at your Bible text. Does anyone have a little, um, what we call a superscripted letter there or some kind of number that tells you something that you would find maybe at the bottom? Somebody read it out. What do you have? Tell us what kind of Bible you have and what, what you have. What do you have, Jack? The net Bible. What does it say? Yep. The Masoretic text has simply, and Cain said to Abel his brother, omitting Cain's words to Abel. It's possible that the Olympic text is original. Perhaps the author uses the technique of the postiosis, or some word like that, a sudden silence to create tension. In the midst of the story, the narrator suddenly rushes ahead to what happened in the field. But it's more likely that the ancient versions, which include Cain's words, let's go out into the field, preserve the original reading here. After writing a certain word in Hebrew, it's currently to be a jump to head to the end of the form, which looks rather similar to the field, and accidentally admit the quotation. This would be an error of virtual something or other. <laughs> Good. In other phases of the Hebrew script, the sequences were graphically similar to the final mark in the word that was skipped. Right. So there's a missing, there's a missing phrase here. It's a lacuna, a missing part of the text. Who else has a note? Maybe from the NIV? Anyone? I'll read it out. Mine, if, mine is the same as yours as what you have in the, um, there in the, in the pews. It says, The Samaritan Pentateuch, the Septuagint, and the Vulgate, which are all later editions of the Bible, and the Syriac, have Let's Go Out to the Field. But the Masoretic text, which is one of the older texts, does not have, let's go out to the field. So, we'll understand why this is important later, but we'll get to it. So, I'll read it both ways. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now I'm going to read it with that part missing, which is in the, most, in the earliest text that we have. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, 
Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you might be wondering what I'm up to. You're like, what's he up to? I want to tell you a little bit about, just a little background about how we have the Bible that we have. And in fact, how you have the English Bible that you have is kind of an interesting story. I'm not going to go into the whole story. But suffice it to say that when you translate something, even in modern times, you're always going to be interpreting. You're not, it's impossible to translate an idea directly from one language to another. You're going to have to make some choices along the way. And so say you have a, a sentence in Spanish and you have to translate it into English. There's more than one way to translate that, that sentence from Spanish into English faithfully. But the, the various versions that you would get in English will have slightly different meanings. So when you translate something, you have to make choices. And people, people make choices all the time when they translate the Bible. We trust that the Bible still has what we need to understand the gospel, even though we're not reading it in the original language that it was written in. Now, if you want to learn the languages that it was written in, you can do that. And that's a wonderful thing. And we would really want to trust the people who know those original languages to be the ones that translate it into our language. In fact, you would want them to both know that old language very well and the language that they're translating it into very well. In fact, you would hope that they'd be a native speaker of the language that they're translating it into, which is a challenge for Bible translation in other countries because first you have to develop people who are native speakers to become believers so that they think this effort is worthwhile, and then you have to get them to understand other things. And so it's very, it's very complicated. Luckily, as English speakers, we have a, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the work that's gone into translating the Bible faithfully from its original languages into English. But nonetheless, over the years, translators have had to make some difficult choices with the text. And one of the cases is here, chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 8. Because in the oldest, and this is just the logic of it, in the oldest, probably one of the most reliable manuscripts we have of Genesis 4, there's nothing there at that spot where I said there's a lacuna. It simply goes like this. And Cain said to his brother Abel. And then a gap. And then, in the field, Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. So what's in the gap? And translators, even later trans translators or copyists of the Bible, looked at that gap and they said, well, wonder what goes in that empty spot? You know, are you wondering? Aren't you wondering? Like, it's a great mystery. What goes in that empty spot? And the consensus was, although there's a differences here, the consensus was, well, the most natural thing would be that he said to his brother, let's go out to the field. So that's, what, that's kind of what became accepted, and that's why your Bible has it that way. Although there's a note there that says, the oldest manuscripts don't have this. The oldest manuscripts don't know what's here. Now, let me just allay some fears that maybe some of you have right now. This doesn't mean that the Bible isn't inspired. This doesn't mean that the Bible isn't God's word. What does it mean that God's word might have a gap in it somewhere? And I'm going to tell you today that I don't think that that makes God's word imperfect. 
In fact, I would say that this points to the perfection of God and his word because in this particular case, a gap might be what God intended for there to be. Now, that's what we're going to get to. I'm going to get to that a little bit later, but that gap is there. So well, the, the most natural thing that these early copyists of the Bible said was, well, clearly what's missing is him telling his brother, let's go out to the field. Now, what that does, though, is it puts a, a layer of premeditation on this murder, doesn't it? Oh, well, let's leave the place where we're doing our sacrifice uh, and, and, and go somewhere else. And so he says, uh, hey, Abel, let's, let's go out to the field. And Abel says, oh, I would love to take a walk with you right now. And Cain says, oh, little do you know that this walk is going to end badly for you. But instead, there's, uh, I think, I would prefer actually this silence. This silent gap. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Um, now, uh, I have one question. It says, Cain said to his brother, Abel. And then, what did he say? And then they were in the field, and he killed his brother, Abel. Now, I'm just wondering. This is, we're a small enough group that we can do this. What could Cain have said to his brother, Abel, that would lead to him killing him in an open field? Any ideas? Anyone want to speculate? They had a conversation about something that led to violence. Right? Yeah, Ona. Yes. Yes. Very good. Why did this happen? Why did, let's connect it to the rest of the story. Yeah, why did this happen? Yeah, that's a good. And then they could have thought about that. And Cain could have, or Abel could have said, because I'm better than you. Or because I'm the younger brother and God loves younger brothers. Take that. And Cain goes, oh, well, if I kill you, you won't be the younger brother anymore. I'll be an only child. Something. Yeah. What else? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, Jack. That would make Cain a little more pointed. Uh, guess you think you're pretty hot. God's accepting your offering and not mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They could have fought over that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the thing, is that when we have a gap like that, people are kind of interested. Well, what could go there? It turns out that over the years, Hebrew scholars have tried to find things to put into this hole, into this lacuna, to make sense of it. The most obvious one is, let's go out to the field. But other rabbis that have developed what are called the Midrash, which is sort of an, uh, an expansion of the text, have come up with various other ideas. Now, one was that the land that they were on right there where they made that original offering to God was the future site of the temple of Jerusalem. That's the tradition, okay? So that's where they were. And they were fighting over who could control that holy ground. Isn't that interesting? Because right now there's people fighting over that very holy ground. Brothers are fighting over this holy ground. Who gets to own this spot? where we had the first sacrifice. Another tradition is that they were fighting over, they had a conversation about who would get the scarce number of women that were in the world at that time. Isn't that interesting? Like, well, who, who's going to get a girlfriend? The first time a woman comes along, whose girlfriend is she going to be? I saw her first, or are you going to be my wingman? Or, you know, and they fought over this, so they were either fighting over, they were having a worship war, or they were, they were fighting over women, which makes perfect sense among men, right? 
Or one tradition is that they divided the world amongst themselves. And one of them said, I get everything that doesn't move, and you get everything that does move. So that's a great way to divide the world. And so one of them said, well, if, if I own everything that moves, then strip down and give me all your clothes because they belong to me. And then the other one said, well, as soon as you can fly and levitate off the land that I own, I will strip down for you and give you all my clothes. So, and they quickly descended into violence after that, right? Well, what if... I don't believe any of those things, by the way. I, I, honestly, I don't know what they said to each other. I don't know what Cain said to his brother Abel, but it's missing from our Bible. And I think there's a reason for it. I think there's a silence in here that's actually a form of grace. Um, I think God left it blank there, and this actually makes his Bible more perfect and more complete because he doesn't want us spending our time wondering what they were talking about. Does that make sense? He doesn't want us to try to figure out what the conflict was about. The conflict was that they were brothers. The conflict was that they were fallen, broken human beings. The conflict was that God had just told Cain, sin is lurking at your door. Its desire is to master you. Watch out. It's coming for you. And evidently, Cain didn't listen to God's advice. And so the reality is that you could put any number of things in this lacuna, in this gap, but all of them amount to the same thing, and all of them amount to the thing that we need to pay attention to. God was trying to redeem Cain. God was trying to help Cain not to sin. For whatever reason, Cain sinned, and he killed his brother. And as I mentioned last week, this is not only the first death in the Bible, but the first death in the Bible is a murder. The first death in the Bible didn't come, out, come about by any other means, but by one person killing another with violence. So, it seems to me that there are times when God is silent. In this text, he's silent. He doesn't tell us exactly what they fought over. Just that sin was lurking at Cain's door and that Cain chose the wrong path. There's times when God is silent for us too, isn't he? You know, when you pray about your children, or when you have a loved one who's close to death, or what do you do when you pray and you don't hear anything back? What do you do when God doesn't speak into the moment that you're wondering about? What if God doesn't give you all the details that you're looking for? God still had to deal with Cain when this was over. And so we see that God comes up to Cain and asks him this question, where's your brother? This time it is a rhetorical question, definitely, right? Because he knows where his brother is. And then Cain kind of asks this cheapy, cheeky question, doesn't give God an answer. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, you are. Yeah, you need to know where your brother is. He's your, he's your little brother. You have to watch out for him. And then um, he says... Your brother's blood, can't you hear it? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And he, he's, the ground now is not going to give you what you want from it. So God has to curse Cain. God has to, to give Cain some consequences. And if you remember, it says that, God, that Cain was the first farmer. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain worked the land. And so 
So God curses Cain and says, you're not a farmer anymore. The ground that's been soaked with your brother's blood will no longer yield to you what you need from it. And, you know, I, I didn't really appreciate this, this curse until I pastored a church in Iowa, and I was surrounded by farmland and fields and soybean fields and cornfields, and most of the people in the church were farmers. If you had told them, you're not a farmer anymore, you have to leave the land and wander in this earth forever, they would say something like, kill me now. I can't stop being a farmer. I can't stop doing This is who I am. I'm, I'm connected to this earth, to this land. But God says of the land, the land will no longer respond to you, the land, and you're going to wander this land. You're not going to be connected to the land anymore. You're going to wander about. But, and this is the, this is the gospel part of the story coming out, Cain says to God, basically what one of those farmers would say, I, this is more than I can take. I can't not be connected to the earth. I'm a farmer, basically. Uh, this is just too much. And so God actually listens to that. He says, all right. Uh, and also Cain says, if, if I have to wander around, anyone who sees me will know what I've done, and they will murder me. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll be at danger for my own life. And so God uh, listens to him and says, no. Actually, I'm going to put a mark on you somewhere. I don't know what that is exactly, right? I don't know what that mark is that he puts on Cain, but wherever Cain goes, he's protected from being murdered himself. And God would avenge uh, anybody who murders Cain. Now, this is not an eye for an eye. We're used to the Old Testament being an eye for an eye. You kill your brother, now God kills you, right? We're gonna, and the, 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 the blood was right there. There was no need for a trial or anything like that. It was all there. And... Uh, but God says, you murder someone, I protect you from being murdered yourself. This is this grace where God does not pay back in the same way that people uh, should be paid back for treating other people. God doesn't treat us the way we treat other people. He does something differently. He, he gives Cain a future with some kind of hope. You, ah, you're going to wander. The, the, the land is not going to yield for you. But yet... Uh, you're going to be protected by me. So God is just to punish, but he's also merciful to protect Cain as he goes out. And God's desire, as I mentioned to the children today, is that siblings do live together in peace. God's desire is that um, they, they live um, in unity. And that's what we see in Psalm 133, for example. Uh, it's how... It's beloved how, ble how blessed it is when brothers live together in peace. And that's actually a psalm that says how wonderful it is when a household or a farm isn't divided when the patriarch dies, but instead the children decide to continue to work it together and not insist on their right to divide it up by some sort of uh, allotment. Usually it was a double share would go to the oldest son and single shares would go to all the subsequent sons. And that happened all the time, but then farms got smaller and smaller and smaller. And so the psalmist is saying in Psalm 133, how wonderful it is when brothers don't do that. How wonderful it is when brothers don't tear the farm away from each other like that after their father dies. How wonderful it is they live together in peace. And then he brings up the story, this idea that this is like a beautiful oil running down Aaron's beard. Now, Aaron had some problems with Moses. Those are two brothers that had some problems, especially worship problems. Remember what Aaron did at the base of Mount Sinai? He started the people worshiping a golden calf while, Jesus, or while Moses was up there getting the Ten Commandments. There were some real problems in that family. 
But even Aaron is blessed when brothers live together in peace. We also, in the New Testament, have the parable, what we call the parable of the prodigal son. But really, it should be called the parable of the generous father and the two disobedient sons. They're both disobedient in their own way. His desire is to see his sons reconciled with each other. His desire is to see them living together in peace. Now, what can we say of all this? There's a silence in our text, and I think it belongs there. Because God can be silent at times. It's a pointer to us that God may not speak in times. He may not fill in all the gaps. But his silence doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It means that we don't need to supply the words we think are missing. We don't need to create a narrative for God that he doesn't create for himself. It means that we can rely on his grace to protect us, even when we fail. And in that silence, we look at God's larger nature, his desire for our good, even though we disappoint him, and his covenant with us that he doesn't treat us the way we treat everybody else, which is good news. And on a personal note, I would say I have personally experienced times of silence from God. Perhaps you have too. Sometimes if I pray, what should I do? Where should I go? Why is someone I love hurting? Or will you forgive me, God? And honestly, sometimes I hear nothing. Those times don't last forever. There's not a flaw in that silence. But God's greater nature comes through in the end. And I'm still on this journey, but I'm learning to see God's silence as part of the rhythm of life. And in those times of silence, I return again to his word. I try to spend time with his people. And I get ready for me for when he will speak with me again. And he does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for even the holes in your word, the gaps in your word that teach us to rely on your greater nature. Be with us this week as we seek unity with our siblings, with the world around us, and as we celebrate the good news of your redemption. Amen.